Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. Good morning. Good morning. It is a joy uh, to be with you here uh, this morning uh, at First Presbyterian Church. For those that don't know me, my name is Alex Lorio. I serve on staff here. And man, it is a delight. It is a joy and delight to be with you this morning. Please join me as we pray. Father in heaven, you are worthy of our praise. And before a single request comes out of our mouth, Lord, we thank you for you. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of who you are. And Lord, as we walked in this morning, Lord, please, Lord Jesus, do not let us walk out the same people as we first walked in. Lord, hear our prayer. And for those, Lord, we say and we declare that those have ears to hear, let them hear. And Lord, speak now, for your servant is listening. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's children said, amen. amen. Well, church, again, uh, I'm excited to be here with you. We are continuing our series in the, um, the book of Mark, chapter 5. We are coming to the close of chapter 5, which is actually really, really fun. Uh, last week, we spoke about uh, Jairus and his daughter. In the middle of this story, uh, we come to the text that we have this morning, and it's actually quite beautiful the way this works out. So please join me as we read uh, God's word, uh, as we wrestle and we chew on the text that God has for us this morning. Read with me, or follow with me. And he went with them, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned to the ground and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Pray with me. Father, we ask again, we thank you for this word that we have this morning. And again, Lord, we ask that your presence, Lord, that we, we would see it and we would see you move in the midst of this room. Lord, again, you are here now. So, Lord, we worship you. Speak through. And, Lord, show us what you were teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. God should have said, amen. I preached a few weeks ago in the contemporary service as we first started chapter 5, uh, talking about the man that was possessed by legion. Right? In that service, I highlighted that when we first started this journey in chapter 4, there was a declaration that the author intended to be ingrained in our head, and more importantly, in our hearts. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
You see, there's something unique, there, there's something that uniquely happens when you not only incline your ear to hear something, but that you actually can process what has been said. And, and finally, upon testimony and time, you can actually believe it in your heart. Furthermore, the, uh, the literary writing of Mark is purposely taking us down a path that he first started talking about sowing seeds of faithfulness to now it being completely fleshed out in application. The real accounts of this deep need, a real accounts of this deep need of faith. Now, faith is quite interesting because it is one that declares, because uh, the one that declares, I have faith, is the, su- uh, the subject might be you, but the object of which you are placing your faith that you would be referencing or speaking about is one in a position of authority. It is greater. So as you declare, I have faith, it is actually the reference of what you are placing your faith in. What's beautiful about this text today is that Mark has been painting a picture this entire time with his words. And he writes to his readers, and as we stand on sola scriptura, we know and trust that the Holy Spirit is divinely leading the quill of his pen. Now, question. And this might seem like it comes from left field. Who here loves good sandwiches? Anybody else here? Praise God, okay? Everybody's over here raising their hand. They're like, all right, I do love sandwiches, right? And there, there are many classic sandwiches out there, right? And if we were to pick like a top three, I'm pretty sure all of our list would be very, very different, right? It would look different for all of us, but counting down the list, my, this was the way my list would look if we were counting down from three, right? Starting at number three, a meatball marinara. Praise God, right? A hearty classic. Makes you want to be Italian, right? Oh, Polly, come over here, and that's a spicy meatball, right? A little, little, little bit like that. I, I was practicing that in the mirror. I was really trying. I was really trying, Right? Classic meatball marinara. Number two, right, coming up, right? Number two on my list, a Mexican cubana. Is it, a, is it a Cuban? Is it a torta? Maybe both. Praise God, I'm not here to ask a lot of questions. I'm just here to receive God's blessing, praise God, right? I'm not, I'm not here to debate. I'm just like, Lord, just bless me. A Mexican cubana, number two. And coming in at the number one spot is the Don, the immortal the always enduring, any day, any time, any location, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, praise God. <laughs> the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Don't come at me, right? We all got plenty, plenty of memories of the peanut butter and jellies. So you might be asking, Alex, why did you just take us down a road of sandwiches? I mean, come on now, Alex, it's early in the morning, it's the first service, I'm hungry, right? And right now, you got that church juice right there in the cookie room, come on now, like, now you're making me hungry, what's going on? Why are you taking me down this road, right? Well, let me tell you. You see, remember how I was saying that Mark is painting a picture? In our text this morning, we see what would be called a Markin sandwich. It was also called uh, intercalation, if it's a scientific term. Mark is starting a text first with the story of Jairus' daughter. He does this on purpose. And in the middle of Jesus' journey en route to go heal Jairus' daughter, he starts with another story. This is done on purpose because the story on the outside amplifies the story on the inside. 
And the situation on the inside intensifies the situation on the outside. They work together simultaneously for a common purpose that only the artist, the writer, is intending, hence, a sandwich, praise God. And we will look to this text through three different lenses. One, through the lens of this woman. The other, through the lens of Jesus. And lastly, as we take a step back, seeing what God is trying to communicate with us. So, as we see this, um, excuse me, one second. Uh, my bad, praise God. So, as we start with this woman, we start with the woman with the chronic bleeding. We, we have to first try to understand her heart posture. You see, anxiety is the first notion that I see as I read this scripture. Anxiety, when you read this text, you have no other response than to have pity on this woman. And pity is defined as a feeling of sadness or sympathy for the suffering or the unhappiness of others. Is this not the feeling that we have when we see this woman? Now the text says, and there is a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and, there and was no better, but rather grew worse. 12 years. We must remember that this woman was made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. And when we hear the story and the weight of what, was, uh, uh, of what it is, it is a painful reminder of the world that we live in. Remember that when God first created all these things, he made us to be whole. There was shalom in the garden and all things worked together. No pain, no disease, no brokenness, no sin. And yet, we know all too well what transpired and because of, its, the, of the effects of the fall have now affected all of us. Maybe you know all too well as you are sitting here right now hearing this. It's a tough reality that we know. And as we press through, grief, sorrow, and mourning are all responses because of this brokenness. However, God had a solution. And the solution was walking into town for this woman the anxiety she must have had to have spent everything and yet nobody could help her. Nobody. And to add injury, and made the they made the situation worse. And you can feel it as you sit there. Someone, please help me. I've spent every last night. Someone, please help me. I'm at my wit's end. I've seen everybody in the town. I've lost everything. And then she hears that hope is coming down the road. This is where brokenness comes in. Because in the same breath, and in the same breath as she asks, can someone help me? Leaders and people that are removed are saying, this is not my problem. They also say, you are unclean. You are unclean. You see, this is... This is the third time in Scripture that Jesus is, is challenging the posture of the day. And he is intentional to be who he says he is in Isaiah 61. That he has come to free. He has come to heal. 
Notice the three individuals in chapter five itself. It first starts with the demon-possessed man, unclean, living among the tombs, living near pigs, was naked and possessed. Jairus' daughter, dead, unclean. And then now, this woman, a blood bodily discharge, unclean. Her bodily discharge classified her as unclean according to Levitical law. And if you take time after this message, you will find this in Leviticus chapter 15, where then it is when it is described that everything she touches is then considered unclean. Everything. And everybody you come in contact with now inherits your uncleanliness. And at the time of which you can and, and the time of which you can be purified is seven days. So now sit in that weight every year of every month, of every day, of every hour, you are told you are unclean. And you are pushed away. You cannot join your family. You have to be distant with the relationships that you've built and your friends. You cannot even join in worship. You couldn't even get through the door. Can you hear her cry? Help me. Someone help me. She was alone. And nobody was there to advocate for her. Desperation. A state of despair, typically one that re results in rash or extreme behavior. And despair itself is defined as the complete loss or absence of hope. She was in a desperation moment. She was in a moment of desperation. She had lost her relationships. She had lost her money. She had lost her place and her identity. Yet she hears news that Jesus is coming into town. She had heard reports, and we can only speculate what, was, what reports came through. But maybe it was that Jesus had healed someone of leprosy in Galilee. Maybe it was the account of the healing of a paralytic man um, in, in Capernaum. Maybe it was the notorious demon-possessed man in the Gasserines that broke chains yet was still captivated and that is now set free and of sound mind. We don't know what reports came, what specific reports that she heard. But we all know this, is that she who had ears to hear, she heard. She heard a man was coming into town and that he healed and he restored. And maybe, just maybe, she can encounter him, her boldness. Hearing of hope, she heard that hope was coming down the road. And the, uh, the writing in the text says that she had heard reports about Jesus and, he, she, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. And she said, if I just even touch his garments, I will be made well. Have you heard of throwing elbows, friends? It's a slang term. I'm about to throw down. 
And it doesn't matter how big the crowd is, I'm throwing elbows. I am going to scratch. I am going to claw with all my power, with all my strength, with all my might. I am going to push through. This is the moment that makes Rocky Balboa's moment look like a comic strip in the Sunday weekly paper. This is small compared to what she was doing. She was scratching and clawing. She wanted desperately to encounter a savior and a healer that could liberate her from her disease. She threw elbows. And the only thing she had left, she was moving in hope. Her movement was completely compelled by her thought, if only I can touch his garment. If only I can touch his garment. Now this is not faith placed in the garment, but the individual who wears the garment. And thankfully, church, right? Thankfully, we will never wrestle with this, right? And it's not like nobody will try to sell you an anointed fabric or a specially packed water for the low, low price of $59.99. Call now and we'll give you shipping and handling for free. What a sick joke a pure distortment of scripture. Lord have mercy. Jesus is the one who wore the garment and if only I can touch his person, I will be made well. She took a leap of faith with outstretched reach, a thrust, a leap, an extension of faith. She sent it. And what is it that she sent? herself. She pushed all in. And thus we see her healing. It says, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. There must have been a grand shock because there are many moments in life where there's an initial shock of a grand moment that moves you. Much like a proposal where the shock of a man getting down on one knee and the woman knowing that her life will never be the same, this is a heavy moment and a joyful moment. I wonder the emotions running through this woman when the shock of sovereignty hit her. And yes, I use sovereignty on purpose because the one who she has encountered is unlike anyone she has ever met. Jesus. Notice here, as we now look in the lens of Jesus, Jesus was going and being sent to heal one daughter and encounters another. You see, Jesus was on, on route to heal a little girl whose father was a prominent man and had fell to his face and was pleading with Jesus, please come and lay your hands on my precious daughter. And we know that God is in control. And it's as if he knew he would come to encounter this woman on the road. Jesus, surrounded by a huge crowd, all, all talking and asking questions, probing conversations just to get close to him, to, to the one who thinks uh, that he's a prophet of God, that they've set his path to Jairus' house when he abruptly stops. He's surrounded, a commotion. And while he's on route, boom, a sudden stop. from the pursuit. 
and he addresses everyone who touched me. Now, there are many scholars that have written about this response, and I don't have time to break down each one, but for the sake of today's teaching, there was, a, there was clearly something different from the one out of the multitude. Maybe many were there just because Jesus was popular. Maybe they were there for their own selfish reasons. Maybe others were there because they too needed healing, but it was a, simply a request, and it wasn't backed by faith until they saw it. And yet in the sea of faces... One was so bold, so intentional, and had such faith. It stood out among the rest who touched me. And the one, one of you in this crowd has a real story to tell. Jesus listens to her story. The disciples thought, thought that this was a bogus question to ask, who touched me, seeing the situation that they're in. But Jesus, the author and the giver of life, wanted to hear the story of this woman whose faith moved her. And so the scripture reads, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And notice here the fear and trembling is not one of, of anxiety because I'm afraid because of, of like a worldly sense of fear. No, no, no. This is a holy sense of fear, a reverence to God. She knows something has completely changed her life forever, and he's asking a question. And you know what? Out of respect, I've got to come and fall to my face because not one person that I've met, not one person that I spent money, not one person that I've reached out to was able to help and heal like you. So I am here. It was me. I could only imagine the look on Jesus' face. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Could you imagine this story? Like a child speaking to their father or mother. Can you imagine? Jesus, 12 years ago, I was living the most amazing life that I've ever had. I was a woman in a community and all these things, and suddenly something happened in my body, and every single day of every single month, I kept trying and trying, and the friends that were around me and said, I got your back, we're praying for you, or we're with you. Slowly but surely, they all started to leave, and then even my family started to look at me and say, you were unclean, and they pushed me out, and my friends pushed me out, and I spent every dime of every dollar, and I was all alone, and nobody could help me, nobody could see me nobody identified with me I was nobody and I was dead in the sight of everybody around but you came to town Lord Jesus you came and you changed my life and you healed me have you ever seen a little kid just coming to tell a testimony I wonder what Jesus' face as a child would run to their father or mother and share such a grand story while a parent smiles heart full because this child is made well. It's one like my mom would say, mijo, todo estás bien. Mijo, vente pa' acá. It's all gonna be good. It's gonna be okay. Faithfulness. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Authentic, uh, there's a lyric in this song called Devotion by Beautiful Eulogy. 
And it says this, this is what faith is, my friends. Positive certainty expressed in action. Authentic faith is not merely believing in God, it is believing God. Taking God at his word, living in obedience to his revelation, whatever the cost, because you know down deep in your bones that God will always do what he says, that his speaking is his doing. It is an abiding assurance in God that his promises animate you to persevere in your obedience to him. This woman demonstrated an authentic faith and had ears to hear and a heart compelled to move. And so when we take a step back and we see the comparison of the two daughters in this text, we end this chapter in in two contrasts, completely strategic in what God is communicating. One was the daughter of a noble man, Jairus' daughter, and he fought for her. One was a daughter that was exiled and pushed away. One was a young woman with her entire future ahead of her, yet she was laying in a bed dying, 12 years old. And one was, had her life completely stripped from her to the point, 12 years of suffering. She couldn't even remember a life where she was whole. One was a situation where the Imago Day life was taken. The other, where the Imago Day was, life was defiled. One, Jairus speaks on behalf of this young girl saying, if only you can touch her, she can be saved and made well. The other, the young woman says, if only, if only I can touch him, then I will be made well. Do you see how these two stories play off of each other? And yet, this Jesus, God's perfect response to a world of brokenness came to town for both of them. That's our king. The one that is sovereign over all things and death and disease don't scare him in his mighty rule. That's our healer that is able to face the greatest challenges and by his will, whether we are healed completely by, by being with him eternally or healed to share a testimony of how God has made me well and then to encourage others that they too can hold on. Hold on. Don't lose hope. Stretch out your hand. Have faith and hold fast because healing is on its way and his name is faithful. That's our savior. The mighty one that has come to save. We were in desperate need of a savior and God responded. Fully God, fully man. Jesus enters into the greatest narrative ever written because he is the author himself and says, I have come to save. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, the exiled, the broken, the hurting, the lost, the scared, and the unloved. And if you're exiled, I will call you back and bring you home. If you're broken, I will mend and I will restore. If you are hurting, I will heal and I will rejuvenate. If you are lost, I will find you and I will bring you to myself. If you're scared, I will comfort you and give you confidence. And if you feel unloved, when the world says you're unlovable, I will show you how much I love you by my own actions, not just talk. 
but I will actually give my life for you. So what is our response, church? What is our response to this exquisite Markin sandwich? As I bring this to a close, I pray that you do not walk again the same as you first walked in. I pray that as you live your days and that, that God continues to bless you, that you be reminded of the mercy and the grace and the compassion God had for you. That you were in need and you were insufficient by yourself. And the world wanted to label you with an identity. Ask yourself, does my life look like one that has encountered and experienced this king? Does my life look like I've been healed and I know the healer? Does my actions demonstrate that I'm madly in love with this Savior? Have I made a way for others to meet him? Or have I just been another face in the crowd, in the way of people that are scratching and clawing to meet the king? Have I gone out of my way to share with others that God has had mercy on me? I end with a lyric from the same band that I quoted earlier, beautiful eulogy. When it talks about this mercy and this grace and this love, it says, do you understand this? Have you experienced this? How then is it possible for you to experience it and not display it? It isn't possible. You have not experienced it if you don't display it. The evidence of God's mercy in your life isn't determined by how much theology you know or how many books you read, but by your active goodness to people in misery and in need. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wondrous and beautiful day. We thank you for moving the quill and the pen in hand of Mark. And as we're in this text, Lord, we ask that as we, be, we, that we would be so compelled to love others the same way you first loved us. Lord, we thank you for testimonies of healing. And Lord, we ask that as we live in this broken world, that we would point people to the healer and that we would draw near them. Lord, give us feet to move towards those that are hurting hands ready to serve those that are in need, eyes willing to see those that are in the midst of hopelessness, a heart of compassion to move towards that brokenness, and ears to hear the testimony of how you are still at work, and you are so, so good. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, amen.